0: I know that no one RSVPs in our cultural context today. Hopefully it will change soon, but uh, we often don't do it, whether we receive an invitation uh, to a wedding or to a birthday party, an anniversary party, or to a social event. But, you know, it's important to let people know if you're going to show up or not. I don't know if some of you have read Kristen Lane's heartbreaking blog post about how no one showed up at her son Malin's ninth birthday party and her blog post went viral on social media. And there in her blog, she writes, I write this post with swollen, puffy eyes, still raw and burning from crying myself to sleep on my pillow, she began. What was supposed to be a fun-filled birthday party weekend complete with pizza, cake, games, prizes and friends went horribly wrong. Malin is a third grader who had previously been homeschooled but recently switched to public school. And this little guy was excited to invite his classmates to his real first birthday party, a diary of wimpy kid-themed celebration based on Malin's favorite book series. He handed out the invitations to his friends in school and eagerly began counting down the days until his birthday. Through... Taryn, the mom, had asked the parents to RSVP on the invite. To her concern, she hadn't received a single reply. But when she expressed her concern to her husband, he reassured her that nobody bothers to RSVP these days. Don't worry, he told her. They'll come. Kids love birthday parties. When the big day finally arrived, Marlon was up before the sun, hanging streamers, blowing up balloons, picking out his outfit, and carefully assembling treat bags for his guests. He told his mom, This is the happiest day of my life. I can't wait until my friends get here. But no one came, not a single kid which is why Kristen sat down to write her now viral post, begging parents not to ignore those four letters ever again, RSVP. And she writes, I know you're busy, tired, stressed, have a million and one other things to do. I'm right there with you. But please, the next time you're tempted to ignore the handwritten invitation from a classmate, please remember that there could be a child sitting at an empty party table crying into his napkin, feeling unloved and rejected. When you hear of a story such as this, what is your response? How do you feel? You feel sad. Your heart goes out to Malin and his mom, Kristen. How can people be so inconsiderate that they simply will not show up? But can you imagine a party where millions of invitations are sent out? The party was planned. It is an extravagant one, and no one shows up. Will it happen to God? And if you don't believe me, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 22, as we take a look at verses 1 to 14. We continue this morning our sermon series entitled Masterclass, Learning Important Life Lessons. From the parables of Jesus. This morning we want to learn how to prepare for a party, specifically a party that God has prepared, the celebration that will be when we enter into his kingdom. Now to put this parable into a historical context, this parable was given by Jesus towards the latter part of his earthly ministry, when the Jewish people had already rejected him. His offer of the kingdom had been rejected represented by the animosity of the religious leaders against Jesus. And so Jesus speaks this parable, this story, to condemn a nation that had rejected Him, but also in this parable to provide hope for those who are willing to properly prepare for the party that He has thrown or is throwing for us. Now there are four steps to preparing for a party and we're going to outline our sermon in such a way. And so the first step, number one, if you're taking notes, step one, receive the invitation. The first step to any party, of course, is to receive the invitation. You can't go to a party if you're not invited. I hope none of you are thick-skinned enough to show up at a party that you are not invited to. If you do, we call you a gatecrasher. And that's not a good term. And so the invitation is given. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 4. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged the marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see... I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Jesus tells the story of a king who wants to throw a lavish wedding party, a banquet for his son who is getting married. Now in this story, to make it very clear, God is represented by the king and the son is Jesus Christ. And this invitation to the banquet is God inviting those people to enter his son's kingdom to be treated to an amazing experience with a literal banquet and so the king sends out invitation about this wedding banquet now in those days the ceremony and the banquet were one so it's one in the same and so the king sends out invitation to his son's wedding which includes a banquet and it seems like those who were invited were not interested in coming This, of course, would be in reference to the Jewish people's rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and His sincere invitation for them to believe in Him and enter into His kingdom. You see, the nation of Israel was given the privilege and the honor of being the first to receive the invitation to Jesus' kingdom. And so the Bible tells us that the king sends out other servants a second time, a second wave of invitation to try to convince them what an amazing wedding banquet they would experience if they came. It would be worth their while to come and attend. In fact, the Bible tells us in the invitation, the king notes that he has killed the best of his oxen He has killed his fatted cattle. Those animals that had been reserved for a very special occasion, the best had been prepared for them. All they had to do was come and to enjoy. And this second invitation shows historically that for centuries, God had sent prophet after prophet to tell the Jewish people about the amazing benefits of entering into God's kingdom. Prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah and even John the Baptist talked about the greatness of the kingdom and an invitation for the people to be a part of it. Here we see that God pulls out all of the stops to convince people that His kingdom is worth being a part of. In fact, He gives descriptions of what we can look forward to. He tells us how great the millennial kingdom will be when he writes in Isaiah 25, verse 6, And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. The best of wines and the best of meats is what God has literally prepared for those who enter into the kingdom. For those of you who have been to children's parties, you know that in some children's parties that uh, they often have a petting zoo where they'll bring cute furry animals for you to pet, or for your kids to pet. And for you, it's nothing because you've seen the puppies and the rabbits. They're not exciting. You want a party where you can pet bears, hug tigers, stroke the mane of a lion. That would be an exciting adult party. But you also realize that if you do that, or have that option, you'd probably get your head bitten off or your hand bitten off. That would not be worth it. But imagine this. God says it will happen. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. This is an experience that we who enter the millennial kingdom will experience. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. You want to hug a panda bear? You get that opportunity when you enter the kingdom. You want to hug a lion? Hug a bear? There's your opportunity. And so God pulls out all the stops to tell us that it is worth entering the kingdom. And the people of Israel knew all about this, and yet they still rejected this invitation. In our present application today, we have received a wonderful invitation from God to enjoy sweet fellowship with Him in this life and to enjoy an even better fellowship with Him in the life to come for all eternity. We know that when we enter into His kingdom, we will be in the presence of the one who loves us unconditionally. And we're also told that He has prepared the best of everything for us. In fact, the Bible tells us He has been been preparing since the day he was resurrected and ascended. Let not your hearts be troubled, he tells us. I go to do what? To prepare a place for you. He has been preparing a place for us for almost 2,000 years. It's going to be wonderful. And yet it is a wonderment in this great invitation of God for his kingdom that there are still people who balk at receiving it. If I were to ask you, how many of you have ever received a wedding invitation? I think all of you would raise your hand. And if I were to ask you, what's in it? Well, in a wedding invitation here in Asia, you would have uh, one page with all of the details, the time, the location, uh, the reception location, the name of the couple. On a second sheet, it would probably be translated into Chinese. In the third sheet, it would be a list of all those in the entourage, uh, all those who were chosen to be the godparents uh, of the wedding couple, the sponsors. But I wonder, have any of you ever received a wedding invitation who are included in the wedding invitation is the reception meal menu? Anyone? I've never received one. I would love to see the reception meal menu in the wedding invitation because I tell you what, it would certainly motivate most of us to attend if we know what we're going to be eating that night. Imagine a wedding invitation that announced the wedding reception meal menu. And in an ideal wedding, Meal menu would be an eight-course meal of suckling pig and giant prawns, of wagyu beef, of giant scallops, of abalone, of oysters, of lobster, and roasted goose. That would be my ideal reception. And I bet you that if that menu with those items were put inside the wedding invitation, none of you would miss that reception. But why is that not done? Because you're thinking that the motivation of why you should come to a reception is because of your relationship and appreciation and love for the family or for the couple. And you know, the wonderful thing about God is that He presents us in His invitation the reason we should accept because He so loves us and has done so many things for us and we love Him in return. And yet, to add to the benefits of coming. He tells us exactly what we're going to be eating at the wedding supper of the Lamb. He tells us what we get to enjoy in heaven. He's not enticing us. He's enumerating the greatness of the party He's going to throw. Well, that's the first step to receive the invitation. There is a second step. What happens when you receive the invitation number two, step two? Of course, you... Check your schedule. You check your schedule. You want to check your schedule to see if you are able to attend, if you are free. And if there is a preset appointment or if there is a conflict, you're going to decide whether or not you're willing to move that appointment so that you can accommodate this invitation to this spectacular celebration. All right? We do that. And so let's say hypothetically you you get an invite, I don't know why, but randomly you get an invite to join the richest man in the world's child's wedding. That's Jeff Bezos today of Amazon. Let's say for whatever reason you know Jeff and he sends you a wedding invitation to your surprise. The richest man in the world's child's wedding. And in the invitation it tells you that it is an all-expense-paid trip Jeff will fly you first class to the beautiful Maldives who are assembled there will be Hollywood's top stars as well as a few heads of state. Let me ask you this. If you receive an invitation like that and as you check your schedule and you see on your schedule that on that date your child has a dentist appointment, would you write back to Jeff and say, Dear Mr. Bezos, thank you for the invitation. I'm sorry I can't attend because my child has a dentist appointment. It was booked six months earlier. Your invitation came four months. That would be crazy. None of us would do that. The first thing you'd do, you'd call the dentist's office and move that appointment. Let's say that date fell on your child's birthday. I bet you 99% of you would ask your child hey can we celebrate a week before let's say even it fell on the due date of your wife's well your child also but it fell on the due date of your child would any of you have the audacity to tell your wife i'm sorry honey it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience and she may respond well this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and your reply is but honey it's it's the maldives You may say, oh, we'd never have that conversation. Really? I bet you, you, in some of your family situations, you've had a very similar conversation. But this is the type of invitation given in this parable, a very special invite for the king's son's wedding. But I want you to look at the attitude of those invited, which represents the Jewish people's attitude towards the kingdom offered by Jesus. Look at verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. Here is the wedding of the century. Here is the invitation that everyone wants to go to. They received it. They checked their schedule, and they realized, well, we've got too many things to do. We can't go. They made light of it. They didn't keep it to high regard. They thought it was a joke of an offer. They took it lightly, and they didn't see it as important. They had other places to be at. They had other people to meet. And in in this parable, one went to his farm. Another continued in his business. I'd like you to put your finger here at Matthew, and would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, two books down. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 24 is a similar, but it's a different parable. It's a similar parable. And here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, we find three excuses that people give for rejecting the king's invitation. These are the same three reasons that non-believers reject the offer of God's invitation for salvation. These are the three reasons why Christians... Reject God's invitation to be an in intimate fellowship with His Son, Jesus. Let's see what these three excuses are. Looking at Luke chapter 14, verse 18. But they all with one accord began, note this, to make excuses. The first said to Him, I have bought a piece of ground. I bought a piece of property, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. In this first scenario, someone has an investment in a property. He needs to attend to it. And so his professional life was more important than a call to be in relationship with Jesus spiritually. For many of us, our professions take priority. And if you're a student, your studies are are your profession. And so therefore, oftentimes, our studies, our work, takes priority over the spiritual things of life. That is an excuse given by many. While business is important, it provides our livelihood, is it so important that it negates our time spent with the Lord? Pastors and others have often reminded us that whenever someone is about to die, they never lament, I wish I spent more time at work. I've been at the bedside of many who are leaving this earth. No one ever tells me, Pastor, I wish I grew my business bigger. I wish I spent more time at work. And all of you, I think, would acknowledge that truth. But we don't live out this truth. We live as if our professional life is the single most important thing in our life. Our studies are the most single important thing in a student's life. And so we are so engrossed in it that we miss out on this wonderful invitation from the Lord to fellowship with Him. And so we often use our professional life as an excuse. Look at verse 19, the second scenario. And another said, I've bought five yokes of oxen and I'm going to test them, I ask you to have me excused. In this second excuse, a person has made a purchase of five oxen, and now he's more interested in taking care of these five oxen and attending to them than to be invited to a party. The one pictured in this second scenario has allowed his possessional life to be more important to him than a time spent fellowshipping with the Lord. You had the first area, which is the professional life, and now you have the second, the possessional life. And certainly we spend a lot of time on our gadgets, our cars, our hobbies, our vacations, our television shows, our movies. Possessions can both be tangible and intangible. And it seems like all of our possessions take precedence over our desire To spend time with the Lord, and therefore it serves as an excuse for us. Let me just finish this movie. Let me just finish this television series. I'll spend time with God after I tune up my car, after I play a round of golf, after I finish programming my phone. The possessions of our life and the maintenance of those possessions often clog up our schedule so much that we simply don't have time, and so our possessional life serves as an excuse. Look at the third scenario, verse 20. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. The third excuse is given as it relates to family life Somehow, family life has now taken priority over one's spending of their time with the Lord. Family events, family obligations, family time, family meals, surely do take up a lot of our time. And while they are very important, and I would never minimize that family time, somehow they take such precedence and priority and importance in our life that we shun the invitation of our Lord to be with Him and to spend time with Him, both in private worship and in corporate worship now I fully understand the realities of the busyness of a new parent taking care of their newborn baby I know of the energy that must be expended for a child to take care of their aging elderly parent I fully understand the obligations that you must be at certain family social events but in reality unless it takes up 24 hours and seven days a week of your time Family obligations is simply but an excuse because in reality, you know this to be true, if you want to make time, you can make time for it. The point is, there will always be an excuse for not wanting to receive the invitation of our Lord to spend time with Him. Our schedules are in our hands. It is up to us whether we want to adjust what we already have planned the Lord, whether it's our professional, our possessional, or our family life, somehow seemingly all those areas of our life have priority over the spiritual things. They were a problem back then in the time of Jesus, they are a problem today. And yet those things should not serve as an excuse to reject the invitation of our Lord to an amazing experience with Him. Now put your fingers here in Luke. We'll come back to it. Let's go back to Matthew. And we pick up in Matthew chapter 22, verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. To our horror, there are even some invitees who are so resentful at the king's kind invitation that they killed the very messengers sent to invite them to this lavish banquet. They didn't bother to check their schedules. They were just simply so annoyed that these messengers from the king would insert themselves into their seemingly good life that they killed the messengers. And of course, this is what the Jewish people did to many of the prophets God sent to tell them about His amazing invitation to His kingdom. And in that context, historically soon, they will do the same to Jesus You would think, well, how can someone be like this? You can reject the message. You don't have to kill or hurt the messenger. Well, my friends, the world has not changed. The world is no different. In fact, it's getting worse. Think about how antagonistic the world is to the gospel message. The gospel is an offense to them. It offends them. And so I feel sorry for the young men and women who are going to grow up in this generation. I feel sorry for you who will be living out this 21st century because not only will the world today not only reject the message, they also have to hurt the messenger. And so be prepared as you warn them or tell them about Jesus Christ in your life, as you hold to the teachings of the Scriptures They will not simply reject your message. They will hurt you, the messenger. They will call you dumb and stupid and crazy for believing in something that was written thousands of years ago. They will call you an intellectual disgrace because you don't hold to the evolution theory of the origins of life. They will call you bigoted and intolerant and unloving because you have not bought in to the LGBT lifestyle because the scriptures speak about this. And they will challenge you and destroy your reputation calling you a religious fanatic because you uphold to the truths of the Scripture. The message you bring will be rejected and you will be hurt as the messenger. Be aware. Verse 7, look what happens to them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies destroying those murderers and burned up their city. We think that An excuse to not attend doesn't have consequences. Look at the result of those who ignore and reject the king's offer. They were killed. This is a picture of men and women who don't get another chance at being invited again. And this happened historically to the city of Jerusalem, which was burned and destroyed in 70 AD by General Titus because of the Jews' rejection of Jesus' offer of the kingdom and their nation was exiled from their homeland. Lots of people today will find that they don't take seriously the invitation of God to enter the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ alone. What they will soon find out is that they will not have another chance. Whatever excuse you may have this morning, whether it's valid from your mind or invalid, it is a one-time ask In this lifetime of whether you will accept this invitation or not because if you have excused yourself from this offer of salvation because you think you're a good person my friends you have disqualified yourself from ever having another chance to be invited again why because dead people can't make decisions There is no such thing as purgatory where you purge yourself of sin and hopefully make your way to heaven. That is not taught in the Scriptures. There will not be another chance when you are in hell saying, oh, I made a wrong decision. I want to accept God's invitation. God is a good and a gracious God. But the rule He sets forth for decisions to be made for eternity are decisions you and I make in this lifetime. Remember, listen carefully, the decisions and actions we make in this lifetime will reverberate throughout eternity forever. Whether it's your decision to accept or reject God's free gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died in your place, or whether you accept or reject God's promise of eternal rewards if you work for Him faithfully in this lifetime, the decisions you make today and I make today will reverberate forever, throughout eternity. You know, today we think that if we miss a party and everyone says, wow, what a great party, you should have been there. We think to ourselves, okay, I regret missing this party. The next time they invite me, I'll go. Or we think to ourselves, well, well, there's always next year. There will be another invitation. But my friends, it doesn't work that way. The invitation of God is a one-time offer in this lifetime. There is no next life. There is no reincarnation for you to make a better decision. It is a one-time ask, a one-time event you do not want to miss. So my friends, the invitation has been sent out to you to fellowship with God. You check your schedule. Are you going to clear out your schedule so that you can spend time with Him? Because if you don't, you may regret not doing so. Well, what's the third step? The invitation has been sent. Your schedule has been cleared. But there is a step three. You want to know if you're really wanted there. And here's step three, number three. To know the host's heart. H-O-S-T apostrophe S. The host's heart. You want to know whether you are there because they were obliged to invite you or you want to know if you were invited because the host saw you as someone special and important and it is a sincere invitation for you to be there I remember more than a decade back I received a phone call at church to an invitation to a very grand social event the person who called actually was looking for my father wanting my father to be there But I told the caller that he was in the U.S. And so they asked me who I was. I told them I was the son. And they said, we would love for you to be there as his representative. The host knows you as well. He would be overjoyed to have you there. So I said, okay, just send the invitation addressed to me. Here's my dress. And uh, you can give me the details. So the invitation came a few weeks later. And a bit to my surprise, the invitation was addressed to my father's name. Now, I chalked that up to maybe a clerical error. They just had not updated uh, the guest list. I didn't take it as an offense. They wanted to invite my father. I was his representative, and so I looked at the event details, made arrangements, and so on the day of the event, I went, and uh, I went to check out uh, where I would be sitting And I couldn't find my name. My name wasn't there. They couldn't find it. The reason my name wasn't there is because my dad's name was there. And on the seating chart, it was still his name. On the plate setting and the table card, it was still his name. I thought to myself, wow, this is the worst coordinating group in the world. It wasn't a very large event. They called. I asked them to update the name list but they didn't but then I guess that would still be fine it was a clerical issue I thought to myself and then of course as the event started and you had the opportunity to greet the host I met the host who who knows me and I thought that when I met the host the natural response would be Stephen we're so glad that you're here thank you for adjusting your schedule uh, to come and make it for this auspicious occasion but when I met the host, the host said to me, oh, Stephen, I, I wish it was your dad that was here. I was ready at that moment just to walk out. I tried to swallow my pride, but at that moment I felt that I wasn't wanted. And if I wasn't wanted, why in the world am I here? It was a terrible feeling, and I know that uh, perhaps you've had that feeling. We all want to be at a place knowing that we are genuinely invited, sincerely desired by the host to be there. You see, we need to know, number three, the host's heart. And in verses 8 to 10 of Matthew 22, we get a glimpse of the host's heart, the intent of his invitation. Look with me. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and find as many as you find invite to the wedding. Verse 10, So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king basically instructed his servants, now fill this empty banquet hall. Because those who were initially invited had rejected an invitation, and therefore they were not worthy. And so they go out to the streets and the roads and they invite everyone, all, the Bible says, whether they were good or bad in society's eyes. And of course, this refers to the gospel being given to the Gentiles as well as the Jews now. But more than that, these verses show the heart of God, His invitation for all to be a part of His kingdom. His invitation is for everyone of different life stages of different life circumstances it's not exclusive to one group i want you to put your fingers in matthew and jump with me to luke 14 i want to show you the specific types of people that came luke chapter 14 verse 21 luke 14:21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. In this first wave of invitation, the outcasts and the needies were invited to join this lavish banquet. The ones that were rejected by society, they were considered unworthy. We're now the ones who were worthy, not the irony of that. That shows you that God doesn't discriminate as He invites all to the banquet. He calls you, He calls me, He calls your house helper, He calls your driver, He calls the squatter, the informal settlers we call them. Every single person He invites to the banquet. Now some of you as you read these parables may be thinking that the second group of invitees... They were his second choice, and they were only invited because the first group had so many excuses and didn't show up. But remember, that's not how you interpret parables. The parable only has one moral lesson, and the parable, both here in Luke and in Matthew, is simply showing that those who reject, privileged or not, were not given a second chance but those who respond are invited in and welcomed. That is the emphasis of this parable. Look at verse 22 of Luke. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and, have, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and note the word, circle that word, compel them to come that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited should taste my supper. There is still room, and so the master in the second wave invites them again. Note the parallel. The first wave and the second wave of those who rejected, and now here are those who accepted the first wave and the second wave. And here in the second wave the master sends out the servants again, compels, begs them to come. That is a picture of a sincere invitation a picture into the host's heart. The king earnestly wants the place to be filled for all to come. Let me ask you this. When you get an invitation, you may question the sincerity of the host for you to be there. Did I receive my, uh, this invitation out of obligation? Maybe I'm just a, uh, a supplier for the company, and so they, uh, out of formality, gave me an invitation. And so we have these battles in our head, How do you know in our cultural context whether the host is sincere to invite you or not? We know if they're sincere or not when the host calls us, right? If we have an RSVP'd and they're not sure we're going to come, a call from the host often is the tipping point for us to come, right? Here you are deciding, should I go, should I not go? Maybe you were hedging towards not going, you want to watch a movie that's going to come out? Poor wedding that falls on the opening weekend of Avengers End Games. People are going to have to choose between the movie or going to your event. And you're tipping towards watching this movie. And then you hate it, but you get a phone call. You get a phone call from the host, and they ask you, are you going to be there? We'd love for you to come. We hope to see you. What else can you say? Begrudgingly or joyfully, whatever is the case, you show up. The sincere invitation of one who pleads with his people, come. And there we get a glimpse of the heart of the king, the more the merrier, the sincerity of his invitation, please come, please come. So now that you have received an invitation, you've checked your schedule, you know that the host wants you to be there. Then, number four, the final step, you prepare to attend. Step four, prepare to attend. And now you have a responsibility to do something. Because even though you get an invitation, and with the sincerity of the host, to invite you to come and you've cleared your schedule, you can't just show up dressed as you are. Can you imagine going to a five-star hotel wedding reception in your sando or in your pajamas or home clothes? You would prepare, of course, to look nice. Would any of you dare to show up at a birthday party without a gift? How embarrassing would it be if everyone is presenting their gift but you don't have one? Apparently, there was a guest at the king's banquet who wasn't prepared look at verse 11 to 13 but when the king came in to see the guests he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment so he said to him friend how did you come in here without a wedding garment and he was speechless then the king said to the servants bind him hand and foot Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The king walks around and he notices that there is one, as he examines all of his guests, who is not in a proper attire befitting a wedding banquet. Notice how the king calls him a friend, but when asked the question of why he is unprepared, the man is speechless with embarrassment, perhaps thinking, well, I got the invitation. I showed up. But then to our surprise, he is not given an opportunity to get a change of clothes. But instead, he is bound and taken outside, and there there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. These, these phrases, utter darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is, are, are phrases that Jesus used to speak about hell. So imagine, here is a wedding guest who doesn't seem to be in proper attire, and he's thrown into hell. I hope you don't have the wrong perspective It is not the application of these verses That if you're wearing shorts this morning That I'm going to throw you And have you bound off the second floor balcony That would be interesting though It's not about the attire It's about one who is not prepared You see in the historical context This represents a Jewish person who thinks that by his ethnic identity as a Jew, he didn't need anything to enter into the kingdom. He didn't need anything to prepare for to enter into the banquet. But he didn't have the right clothes. He didn't have the, the clothes of righteousness. He didn't prepare by making a personal decision to place his faith in Jesus Christ, which is the prerequisite for entrance into the kingdom of God. He just wanted to get in by his own merit. I'm a Jew. Jesus was Jewish. He offered this kingdom to us first. I get to go in. And the point is this. There are a lot of people who think that they, by their good merits, listen carefully, they think that because they are good people, they will enter into the kingdom because God has an invitation for all to enter into heaven but they will be sorely surprised because they will be cast out to hell because they have not made the preparations to enter into the kingdom, which is an individual preparation of placing one's trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. In our context today, if you're already a Christian, that preparation to be in fellowship with God is through a cleansed heart through the confession of sin so that we can fellowship with him if you are an unbeliever that preparation is to again accept the lord jesus christ as your personal savior the one who died in your place to acknowledge that he saved you from your sin sadly today so many people are simply not prepared They think that once I get the invitation, I'll just show up with my good works. I'll show up because I have a great profession. I'll show up because I've given lots of money to charity. I'll show up because I have always been faithful to my wife or my husband. I'll show up because I've already gotten the invitation because I want to be in heaven. The Bible says you're not prepared. And those who are not prepared to attend will be thrown out of the party cast into hell. And then Jesus ends this parable with a short verse, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. The parable ends with the simple phrase that many are invited into God's kingdom... But few will enter it. Jesus offered it to the Jewish nation first in his first coming. They rejected it with a bunch of excuses to the point of killing Jesus. But God postponed the kingdom until his second coming and opened up the invitation directly now to all the Gentiles and the Jews who would believe, and yet still many reject this invitation. They are not prepared. As we enter into what we in our country call the Holy Week, it is not a week that is holier than any other week. But as we enter into what is one of the highlights of our Christian faith, the celebration corporately of Jesus' death and resurrection, we should be reminded that there is an invitation from Jesus out there, not with someone else's name, with your name. Specially prepared for you your name on it and I hope that as you receive this invitation or you are reminded again of this invitation and you know the Savior's sincerity and earnestness for you to come that you have placed as a priority the attending of this event the desire for you to be in fellowship with him and to prepare your heart through self-examination toward life change. It may surprise you, but nowhere in Scripture does it ask us this week to feel sad. Some of you think that I must not enjoy the Holy Week. I must feel sad because Jesus was experiencing His Passion Week. Some of you think that we should feel sorry for Jesus as we reflect upon Him on the cross. Jesus never asks us to feel sorry for Him while He's on the cross. We are not asked by Him to suffer like Him. There are people who believe that if they crucify themselves like those in Pampanga that somehow that makes Jesus happy. Jesus never asked us to suffer like Him. He doesn't ask us to revisit the stations of the cross. And by the way, more than half of those stations are not even in the Bible. They come from a mystical tradition that's not in the Scriptures. The Bible doesn't tell us to suffer the stages of the cross like Jesus. What is the Christian's response? It is in reflection and remembrance of his death and resurrection, that we examine our lives to see how we respond towards life change. It's not about your emotional feeling this week. It's not about whether you shed a tear so overcome by grief for what Jesus did for you. It is about a transformation of your life to be more Christ-like, because of an invitation a sincere invitation for you to enjoy the goodness of his kingdom our preparation is a self-examination of our heart towards life change and life transformation and if you're not yet a believer this morning I hope that you will accept this free gift of salvation It is in this invitation and the preparation for it through acceptance and belief that you will be able to enter into God's amazing party. So it is. The invitation has been sent. It has been delivered. How will you prepare? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word the call for preparation is something that many of us have forgotten because like the people of old we have a thousand and one excuses for why we do not want to attend why we do not want to be in intimate fellowship with you why we don't want to enjoy a promised kingdom I pray as we reflect upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his Victory over death and sin In the resurrection That each of us would use this opportunity this week To just examine, to look at our hearts To see if it's in the right place But more than an emotional experience More than an emotional response There is a tangible, real change A changing of one's character A changing of one's action a whole life transformation to be more like Jesus. May that preparation be what our church corporately does together as we prepare to celebrate Easter. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.